for the word of God, your word. You, your word says that you did not leave us as orphans. You gave us your word. You gave us the Holy Spirit to understand your word. Please guide it, guide us rather through it, Lord, your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Hey, by the way, Pastor Scott, God bless Pastor Scott, just reminded me of something. So, we give a gift to you every year in the spring when the clock changes. We started this last year, which means next week only, church starts at 11.30. See, that's, that's grace. That's grace, you see? So, so one day only a year, one Sunday only a year, church starts at 11.30. You don't have to get up early. How about that? Or lose sleep, maybe, is a better way of saying it. So one Sunday only, we did this last year. So come at 11.30. If you come at uh, an hour earlier, we got a prayer group. You can pray for the service in, in the Fenway. Okay, the book of Acts. Thank you, Albert. Evening service, same time. Same time, the evening service at 6.30 next week. So a shorter nap in the afternoon. (laughs) So the book of Acts, Acts short for actions. Whose acts are actions? At the beginning of this book, the book of Acts, the title in some of your Bible Bibles, uh, it, it may say the Acts of the Apostle. Problem with that. In the original manuscript, it doesn't say that. In the original manuscripts, it just says the book of Acts. Some people say Acts of the Apostles. Other th- others think it's, well, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I like, I like the Acts of Jesus. I think that that's what Luke meant. Luke, who is the writer of this book. And the reason I say that is in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 1, Luke writes this. He says uh, to his friend Theophilus, to whom this book is written, uh, he says this. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So it says... Began. It says began there. Actually, Dave, can you just keep that up? It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so the book, what former book is he talking about? He's talking about the book of Luke. He wrote the book of Luke. And what he's saying is that in my former book, I wrote all about what Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. The book of Luke uh, covers the life of of Jesus right up until he was taken up to heaven. Uh, It's as if uh, Luke is saying, the book I'm sending you now is what Jesus is going to do or did after he was taken up into heaven. So I like the title, The Acts of Jesus. You know, not that, it's not a critical um, issue, but um, the Bible does teach that Jesus did not stop teaching and doing after he was taken up to, into heaven. He, in fact, he, Jesus himself, we've been talking a lot about this verse, said he will build his church after he was taken up into heaven. So, you know, we, 
have been uh, 20 uh, chapters now uh, in this amazing account of what Jesus uh, continued to do after he was taken up into heaven, following the lives of men and women who he used, uh, and uh, just the lives. And, and, you know, it's important to understand, and, and part of the reason I really be- uh, believe that Acts 1 verse 1 says that is that he's continuing to do right up until this very day to a man or woman who has asked Jesus into their life he, just as he did while he was on the earth, he continues to teach and do through them. So the question for you this morning, just want to begin with this. Have you given Jesus your life? Have you done that? Have you asked him in your heart? Jesus himself in Revelation 3.20 says this. He says this, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Meaning there's going to be a relationship there. There's going to be fellowship there. He says, I stand at the door and knock. And so once you invite Jesus in, you become an instrument through whom Jesus teaches and does. Imagine that. The living Lord, the risen Lord, doing and teaching through you. The last seven chapters in Acts, we have primarily been following the lives of of certain men and women, again, through whom Jesus used to do and to teach. The Apostle Paul, mainly, and certain men and women who ministered with him, And we've seen him in three separate journeys, establishing churches in a multitude of cities located in the eastern part of the Mediterranean. And so last week in chapter 20, we saw Paul at the very end of his last journey, his third journey. And he's on his way to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And in chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, there's an account of a very private, very personal, very emotional meeting, his last meeting with the leaders of the church of Ephesus. And, and, and this is the church that he spent more time with more than any other church. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he shares with the leaders in Ephesus what he believes is going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. Just turn back with me very briefly to chapter 20. Let's just read verses 22 through 23. We read these last week. This is Paul speaking. He's speaking to these people of this church, and he's saying, And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. Not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So when, uh, so here there, Paul, when he says that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, that chains and tribulations await him, meaning imprisonment and beatings await him, he doesn't mean that he's been hearing audibly from the Holy Spirit, what he means is that the Holy Spirit, speaking through men and women, and we're going to see examples of this in the following chapter, the chapter we're in today, chapter 21, 
who are telling them, look, Paul, we've heard from God. If you go to Jerusalem, you are going to have big-time calamity. You're going to be hit with big-time, uh, uh, you're going to be hit with big-time hardship. As Carmen, the old-time Christian rocker, used to say, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be feeling some pain, man. If you do what you're saying you're going to do and you go to Jerusalem. And these people are, by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit, telling Paul this. Just by the way, as as a side note, God does the very same thing today through the lives of of men and women that he puts in our lives, his, his children that he puts in our lives. He uses them sometimes to speak things that are hard to hear, sometimes to speak things that are wonderful to hear, Uh, but without fail, he speaks to us through men and women that he places in our lives. And if you're one of those Christians who, uh, you know, think you don't need to be around Christians, I'm just a a me and Jesus kind of guy sort of deal, um, you are missing out in, in, in fact, you are missing out on hearing from the Lord through the men and women that God wants to just use in your life. Jesus told us to be around unbelievers. He told us to be a friend of sinners. But listen, if that's the only people you spend time with, except maybe on Sunday mornings, you are effectively shutting out the voice of God. We see this throughout the New Testament, God speaking through people to other Christians. But anyway, Paul in Acts 20, verse 23, and he's just saying that everywhere he goes, people are telling him, man, you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get mobbed there. You're going to get beaten there. You're going to be imprisoned in big time trouble. And so in chapter 21, we're going to read about some of this very thing, people warning Paul. Let's pick up in chapter 21, verse 3, actually. Chapter 21, verse 3, it says, so he's traveling towards Jerusalem. And verse 3 says, when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was uh, unloading her uh, cargo. So this is like real history, real stuff. Here's the the train schedule here. (laughs) In verse 4, and finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. So here's an example. Now, this verse is a little difficult because it sounds as if Paul is really not supposed to go there. It says the spirits t- through the Spirit they told him not to go there. Well, it's important to read that verse in its context because in the previous chapter, chapter 20 we just read, Paul said he went bound in the Spirit or by the Spirit to uh, to Jerusalem, meaning he was supposed to go. But what's happening here in verse 4 is that these people, they're hearing from God this big-time trouble, calamity that's going to happen in Paul's life. They love him, and so they're saying, they're, they're interpreting the incoming message about what's going to happen to him, but they're misinterpreting what they're supposed to say to him. And sometimes this type of thing happens. And the message kind of gets garbled, and they're saying, don't go there, is what they're saying. And, 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 you know, it's not always necessarily the case that God wants to keep us from really, really difficult stuff. Not always the case. And we're going to see that uh, uh, today. 
So picking up actually down in verse 8, just continuing on to uh, Jerusalem, it says, On the next day, we who uh, were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven referring to Acts chapter 6, the seven leaders who were appointed, and and stayed with him. In verse 9 it says, Now this man, Philip, had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Wow. I have four daughters who prophesy. You guys know that? I'm leaving the house. They tell me, Dad, if you wear that shirt, Chains imprisonments await you. They do. I love that ministry. If you don't like what I'm wearing, you can blame my, my four daughters. But anyway, verse 10. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. It's a really interesting verse. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him up into the hands of the Gentiles, the, the, the non-Jews, meaning the Romans. Quite an after-dinner uh, conversation, wouldn't you say? They're sitting around the fire, you know, sipping cocoa or whatever, and uh, uh, this guy, Ab- Agabus, comes up, Hey, Paul, can I have your belt? Oh, sure, Agabus. Here's my belt. He takes off his belt. Guy ties his hands and his feet. You know what that means, right? He's got to be on the ground rolling around. You know, I'm not going to do it in front of you. I'll spare you that. But he's rolling around the, 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 the ground now with his hands and his feet tied and said, this, this is what's going to happen to you um, if... Uh, you go to Jerusalem. You see this kind of thing from the, uh, in the Bible. The prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament carried around the yoke of an ox, a cow, on his neck. It was symbolizing that Israel was going to be put under the yoke, the burden of the Babylonians in 1 Kings chapter 20. One of the prophets, really kind of creepy, had someone slash him in the head So he could go to the wicked King Ahab and tell King Ahab, this is what's going to happen to you through God's judgment. And so, wow, really brings the message home, huh? So this guy tying up his feet and his arms. And then in verse 12, it says, now when we heard these things, meaning these things that were going to happen to Paul, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then verse 13, listen up here. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, let the will of the Lord be done. Okay, important that you read the Bible slowly, and as these things come up, you just imagine in your own life this very thing happening. Imagine being around or being surrounded by the people who love you the most, and they're weeping, and they are pleading with you, don't do this thing that you are saying that you're going to do. 
don't do this thing. Now, some of you don't even have to imagine because this has happened to you before. And if the truth be told, listen, this type of thing in one form or another is going to happen to every man or woman who opens that door to Jesus and invites him into their life. You've made a decision to follow Jesus. Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, the living God. You've made a decision to follow him. If your decision was real, it will mean that certain decisions that you will make, people will think they are crazy. They'll think you're mad crazy. And they'll tell you that. And some of them will try to knock you off course. Some of them will persuade you. And listen, some of their arguments will hurt. They will hurt. What? You're not going to join us bar hopping anymore. So, like, you think we're evil people now. You, you think you're somehow better than us now. What? You're going to church not once, but twice a week? Sounds like a cult to me. Sounds like religious fanatics. What? You won't sleep with me anymore? You won't even date me because I don't believe what you believe? That's so narrow. That's so hateful. That's so unloving, so close-minded. Paul says in verse 13, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? Some of these conversations will break your heart. You're doing what? You're going where? You're going to stop doing what? You've given up that? Following Jesus many times may look crazy to the world and even crazy to the people closest to you. You know, we've had some folks in our church graduate from college and they received a specific calling right there instead of pursuing a career using the degree they've earned, going right into ministry, and their families have confronted them. What, after all that money that I've spent, you're going to do what? You know, one of our sisters is probably headed off to one of the poorest countries in the world. Her family's freaking out. (laughs) You're not going to do that. No, 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 no. And I could go on. So many of our churches seem crazy. What? You're staying with your husband after everything he's done to you? Get rid of him. Cut him loose. He's nothing but a huge drag on your life. Your, your wife cheated on you. Now, why would you stay with a wife who did that? You're not seriously going to have that baby, are you? You're 20 years old. You're in college. You'll trash your career. You're not married. Who's going to take care of this kid? Sounds like a pretty persuasive argument. And listen, brothers and sisters, sometimes the people pleading with you, sometimes they will even be Christians, solid ones. What does it say in verse 
uh, 12 there of chapter 21. It says, now when we heard these things, both we and those from the place, uh, from that place pleaded with him not to go. Who's the we there? It's Luke. He wrote about 25% of the New Testament. Luke is persuading him not to go. You know, Stephanie and I have had a number of people, including family members, try to dissuade us from living in the city. At least one really solid Christian woman. You know, and they, they often they bring up the same thing. What about the kids? What about your kids? Is that really the best thing to do with your kids? And any of you parents know that, that really, you know, the, the Bible says in Proverbs uh, 29, 25, fear is a snare of man, and, and Satan will use that, just the fear, particularly when it comes to your kids. Listen. If God has put you on a course, and by the way, he does that with every Christian. He puts them on a course. Satan's going to try to knock you off with fear and every other kind of lie. Every other, every other, every other kind of persuasive lie. But if God has told you to do something, if God has put a calling on your heart, if he's put a conviction on your heart, or if it's, just, if it's the word of God, it doesn't matter if it's your family, your friends, your professors. It doesn't matter if it's your pastor. You don't budge. Don't budge from the calling that the Lord has put you on. Fix your eyes on Jesus and, and finish the race with joy. Because that's the secret of joy, to continue in simple obedience in the calling that the Lord has put you on. By the way, the Bible does have the perfect line to to tell us, tell these people, in, in a loving way. We read it last week. Anyone remember what it is when people are pleading with us, trying to knock us off course? Anyone remember what the line is? Acts 20, 24. We have that, X twenty twenty four, but none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. You know, this verse is just such a banner verse. I didn't usually do stuff like this, but I want us all to say it. Let's all say this together, slowly. But none of these things move me. Let's start again. That was starting good. You're doing pretty good. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus. Good job. Great verse. Great verse. Okay, back in in Acts 21, though, let's just go down to verse 14. So when we would not, when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, we stopped saying, let the, wor- let the will of the Lord Jesus be done. So they stopped. Always like a good idea, by the way, when you see someone has, has have made up their mind, even if it's the wrong choice, at some point, you just, 
let them, you know, commit them uh, to the Lord. And in this case, it was, it was the will of the Lord for him to move on. Verse 15, and after those days, we packed. There's so much detail in the New Testament, even packing their suitcases here. We packed and went up to Jerusalem. Go down to verse 17. And when we had come to Jerusalem, so they're there, the brethren received us gladly. Actually, go down to verse 19. And when he, Paul, had greeted them, that is the brethren in Jerusalem, he told them in detail the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. So they're telling Paul, he, he gets to Jerusalem, and they're telling him, they, they say again, you see, brother, he's talking to Paul, how many myriads, that word myriads, if you look it up in the Greek, it means tens of thousands or innumerable multitude. He's saying here in Jerusalem, myriads of Jews, tens of thousands, innumerable multitude have believed. But then it says, and they are all zealous for the law. Wait a second, red flag. They're zealous for the law? Now, if that was not a red flag, a warning to Paul, what was about to just happen to him, I don't know what was. I'm sure he started to tremble in his feet. Nowhere in the New Testament, in anything taught by Jesus or anywhere else, are Christians told to be zealous for the law. Zealous for love? Yes. But Jesus fulfilled the law. Anyone who's ever tried to be zealous for the law fails miserably. They turn into a religious, legalistic, a danger to themselves and society. As Christians, uh, we believe that Jesus, by living a perfect life for us, fulfilled the law, freeing us to be zealous for the love. He, having fulfilled it for us. So anyway, so he says, look, there's tens of thousands of people here who are zealous for the law. Oh, no, what's going to happen here? Uh, it says in verse 26, actually, Paul goes down to the temple. Just uh, skip to verse 26. Actually, go to verse 27. Um, it, it says, so they're down in the temple, and now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, Paul, in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help! Was help us gang pile this guy, is what they were saying. Help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place, and furthermore, he has also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled the holy place, which, by the way, was a lie. And which, by the way, even when Jesus was uh, 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 crucified, the veil was torn in two. The Greeks and uh, Jews become one. But, you know, Paul was sensitive to the fact that it was taking the Jews a little while to understand that. He didn't take anyone uh, into any uh, Gentile or Greek into the temple area, which was prohibited uh, under the old covenant, under the old law. But he hadn't done it. He hadn't provoked them like that. Um, it, it, 
it, it, it says in verse 29, the reason they were saying that, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that he had brought into the temple. Let me do, do me a favor, just as a quick aside. Just could, when you see someone, when you see someone, don't just jump to conclusions about things and start spreading things around. You see a, a pastor or, or someone, uh, you know, talking with a woman who's not their wife in the, in the grocery store. Don't go jumping to conclusions. You know, th- this type of thing rips uh, churches apart, and it started a riot here because people jumped to the wrong conclusions. In the Bible, we're saying if we're zealous for love, we are not going to gossip If we have an issue, we go right to the person. Can you clear this up with me? And and, and so, but anyway, this is what happens there. They stir up a riot. Verse 31 says, now as they were seeking to kill him. Wow, those people back in, you know, earlier chapter weren't killing, weren't kidding. As they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander, that is the Roman commander of the garrison, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. This is like not a good day. He's waking up, thought he was going to have an easy day, whatever. He finds out that the whole city he's in charge of is in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Agabus wasn't kidding. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. Verse 35, when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the, of the mob, for the multitude of the people followed after, crying, away with him. I mean, I tell you, chapter after chapter, this book, high drama, High drama, crazy stuff. But listen, all this leads to a question. It's a glaring question. Anyone know what it is? Glaring question. If Paul knew what was going to happen, why did he go? But there's a better question. If God, who loves Paul, knew it was going to happen. Why did God have Paul go? Why, 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 if, if God is a God of love, why, why is there all this suffering in the world? Sound familiar? If God really loves him, her, why the suffering in their life? And the reason for that is this. God is love. And God loved the people in Jerusalem. Now, in the book of Luke, there's a description of Jesus drawing near to Jerusalem. Jesus is in his final journey before he gets arrested and crucified in Jerusalem. Luke 19.41. Luke 19.41 says, Now as Jesus drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. God is love. Why did Jesus weep? He loved, he loved, he loved the men and women in that city. He wept, he wept 
because they had had this long history of rebelling against God because they had taken a religion or a faith that was based on love and they had turned it into a legalistic religion which was man-made. He wept also because he knew what would happen to them if they continued to reject God and if they rejected him, the Son of God. Let's put Luke 19 back up there. It says, now as Jesus drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it saying, if you, so this is actually a conversation he's having with his city, if you had known, even you, the things which make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will surround you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why did God send Paul to Jerusalem knowing all that would happen to him? Because God is loved. Jesus wept over this city, hadn't given up on it, hasn't given up on us, hasn't given up on the people who we loved, who have not uh, believed, who have not entered into a relationship with him. And, and, you know, you may say to all this, well, you know, I hear, Steve, what you're saying. God is love. He loves these people. But here God knows that the people are going to reject Paul. He knows that. And not only does he know that, They're not going to stop rejecting Paul and and rejecting Jesus. He knows that eventually this city is going to be judged. It's going to be wiped out. So what's up with that? Why doesn't he just go on? And Paul can be used in many different places. Why is he going to this place? In other words, how long does God continue to to love someone when when they are hard on a path where they're just worshiping their own life and they're rejecting God. How long does a God continue to love a people? When all a person or all a people has ever done is, is reject him, how, 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 how long? How long does he continue? It's a good question. Bible has a very surprising answer. Actually, on Sunday nights we're going through the uh, Bible. We are halfway over halfway through. And we're in Isaiah chapter 6 this evening. And I believe in Isaiah chapter 6. By the way, very famous little chapter there in the Old Testament, Isaiah. It says this, and I don't think this is a coincidence that this is coming up right now because I believe it answers this question. And I want to put up, if we have it, Isaiah 6, 8, and 9 on the screen. Uh, This is Isaiah. Isaiah says this. He says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I, meaning Isaiah, then Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. And the Lord said, Go and tell this people. And in other words, he said, You. He said, You go and you tell this people. And then it continues. And it says, then I said, Isaiah said, but for how long? In other words, how long do I continue telling this people? He goes, they don't under, they, they've clogged up their ears, they've turned away their heads, they refuse to listen. How, for Lord, how long? And this is what God says, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, 
until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. Wow, heavy stuff. In other words, God is saying to Isaiah, you keep sharing my love for the people until the very end. And that's why God sent Paul to the city of Jerusalem, knowing what would happen to him there, why God loves the people. That's the heart of a father. That's the heart of a creator for the people that he made, loving to the very end. And I'll close with this. Only a few years after this event in Acts chapter 21, the, the city of Jerusalem was completely flattened, completely wiped out, not one stone upon another. You don't have to read the Bible uh, to, 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 um, to find out about that. That's in secular history books. A.D. 70, just a few years after it. The Romans came in and destroyed it. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the city. Exactly how exactly what Jesus said. Exactly. The Romans surrounded the city. They besieged it, and then they wiped it out. It was God's judgment. God is love. He's also holy. God being holy can't ignore sin. What would the world look like if God just ignored sin? But there's a wonderful, wonderful bright side to judgment many people. Many, many people, both in Isaiah's time and in the time of Paul and even today, they hear the message of love. They hear the good news that they need not suffer judgment, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to suffer judgment for them and that he became their substitute, and that because he died, they could live. And many, many, many people, Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, accepted, they embraced the message, and it spread like wildfire. We're the beneficiaries, I believe, of Paul going to Jerusalem to this very day. And, and, and moreover, the good news is this. First Thessalonians 5.9 says this, for God did not appoint us to wrath. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the rapture is all about. The Bible says that Jesus will return. He promises that he would, that he would return. But before he returns, actually, the Bible says, Seven years before he returned, there's going to be a time of terrible uh, tribulation where God, he's, the Bible says he's storing up wrath, but he's going to pour it out in the time of tribulation. The Bible says prior to that time, he will take up his church, the rapture. It says we are not appointed. We are not appointed for wrath. And it's just a wonderful, uh, a, a, a wonderful message uh, in the, the Word of God. And also in First Thessalonians chapter 1, Jesus delivers us from the wrath that comes. And he holds out that offer of love, that offer of salvation, right up until the day we die or the day we're, we're, we're raptured. It's the love of God that he holds out to the world. And what a picture. The Bible does say, oft-quoted verse, that his ways are 
as high as uh, above the heavens or above the earth. His ways are different than ours. To the very end, he holds out that love, that offer. If you are in here today and you've never opened up that door to Jesus, please come up. There'll be a couple people pr- uh, up here after the service, right up in, uh, in front of the pulpit here. I'm here. Other pastors, come pray through with them. It's a simple prayer of faith, opening up your heart to, to salvation. Okay, we will pick up. Uh, we'll pick up next time in Acts, and continuing on in this crazy story. Why don't we uh, rise for a worship song? We'll close for a worship song. Remember, next week and next week alone, eleven thirty. Uh, we will be starting uh, next week. God bless you.